Welcome to the Faith Cove Podcast. In our current series, The Way of Jesus, we will study the parables of Jesus to simply consider what He actually taught and the way He invites His disciples to live. It is always a joy to be together and... uh... I'm excited today because we are able to enter into the first Sunday in our new series that we're calling The Way of Jesus. Before we do that, just want to invite you to pray with me one more time and uh, pray for God's blessing over our kids as they go, as well as our time of looking into God's Word. Would you pray with me? God, we do thank you that uh, the name of Jesus is powerful, that it reminds us that you are present, and that your love for us can never fail. And so as we enter into the way of Jesus today, we ask that you would bless our kids as they learn more about your love for them and speak to our hearts and our minds through your word about your love for us and how you invite us on a journey with Jesus that will forever change us, but also forever make us a blessing to those around us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. As I said last week at Easter, if you were with us, I'm excited today because I believe that God is doing a new work among us. I believe that God is wanting to do a new thing, not only in our church, but in your life and in my life. And a part of it is an invitation as we come out of this crazy pandemic season that that God is not done with you. And God is not done with Faith Covenant Church, and God is not done with Christianity in America, and God is not done with his mission of love to a lost and a hurting world. And I believe he's calling us, and even in the midst of the ongoing challenges and struggles that we face, he's inviting us to the possibility that there's a deeper and more powerful experience of his presence and his power at work in our lives. I mean, as you are here today, how many of you, and you don't have to raise your hands because it's not going to be a guilt or a shame thing, but just honestly, how many of you here today would not like a greater experience of God's presence and power at work in your life? I mean, can you even imagine the possibility that God could do something more? God could do something new. God might be inviting you to experience something that you didn't even imagine was possible in your relationship with him. Our series is going to be a series where we go through and we study some of the parables of Jesus. And we're going to be looking to study the parables of Jesus as we want to try and rediscover the way of Jesus so that as followers of Jesus, we can begin to understand the gift of the life of Jesus inside of us that he invites us to experience, which the Bible says is the whole purpose for why we have our faith in Jesus. And so today we're not only launching our new series, but for those who are willing, uh, we're launching what we're calling the 50-day challenge. And the 50-day challenge entails your willingness to commit to a simple prayer practice every day for 50 days leading up to the the Sunday of Pentecost, which is the distance between Easter and Pentecost, to see if God will not use that time and commitment of connecting with him to do something new in us. It'll take about 10 to 15 minutes at most. You can do it uh, at home, in the privacy of your home. You can do it in your car on your way to work. You could put on your headphones and you could walk around the block and you could listen to the parable each day and and do the simple prayer practice. It's designed to be something that anybody can do. 
But you can also allow God to do whatever he wants with that time, and you can spend as much time engaging with God as you want. You can sign up for the 50-day challenge by texting 50-day to our church texting phone number, which is on the screen. Timing is everything. 253-993-1797. And here's a little pro tip for you guys. If you take that phone number and you enter it into your FaithCov contact in, in your phone under an additional phone number, you could be called texts or texting, you'll be able to access that number at any time, both for the 50-day challenge and any other texting uh, communications that we want to do as a church. But if you sign up, you'll get a daily encouragement text that reminds you about the prayer practice, invites you to your commitment, and we're going to be sharing about what God is doing, both through a Facebook group that you can join, through testimonials on Sunday morning, and also just with our own friends and our small groups and where God is working in our lives. Finally, we also are going to be reading the book, Christ-Shaped Character. Again, this is optional. If you're interested in a further study and going deeper, you can read this book on your own or with friends. If you need help connecting with somebody who wants to read through the book together, let us know and we'll play matchmaker and see if we can connect you with some friends. But I am excited because I believe that God is wanting to use both this series, The Way of Jesus, and the 50-Day Challenge for those who are willing to do something new in us. At its core, the good news message of Jesus is not about how much God wants you to know that you're messing up in life. It's not about how you should be trying harder to be a better person or to be a better Christian or, or to be a more successful human being. It's about a God who loves you, who knows you just the way you are and wants to share his life and his love with you in ways that will blow your mind and will open your heart to an amazing experience of the God who created you, who knows you better than you know yourself and wants you to experience his joy and his blessing and the freedom that comes from his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness in your life. And this is part of what we see depicted in one of the most famous and recognizable parables of Jesus found in Luke 15, verses 11 to 32, which has traditionally been called the parable of the prodigal son. Now, Professor Klein Snodgrass, in his commentary called Stories with Intent, suggests that the traditional title, The Prodigal Son, probably is not an appropriate title for this parable because it, it ignores the whole second half of the story. In reality, he says that a better title might be The Parable of the Father's Love or The Parable of the Compassionate Father with Two Lost Sons. Now, it's also the longest parable, so I'm going to ask for your patience because we're going to read through the whole thing. And it has the most conversation and discourse in it, but it's also considered one of the most significant stories that Jesus told that helps us to understand his mission and his ministry in the world. So beginning in verse 11, Jesus continued, it says, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me the share of the, my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out 
to be a citizen to another citizen in that country who sent him into the, his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, or literally it says when he came back to himself, when he found himself again, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out, go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to even be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine that was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was out in the field. When he came near the house and he heard music and dancing, he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went and pleaded, went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property, it actually literally says, who has squandered your life with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son... The father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, if we take time to look for any background of this parable in the Old Testament, which is often helpful to do to understand how we might interpret the meaning of stories and parables in the Bible, we can see that there are various cultural references that we can find that seem to be relevant to the story, but there is no direct Old Testament passage that Jesus is drawing from that, that we would go to, to for, for an interpretive purpose. Uh, you could look to Proverbs chapter 2. Uh, In Proverbs chapter 2, it describes a father's charge to his son to pursue wisdom and righteousness in life and suggests that those who don't pursue wisdom and righteousness will be cut off from the land, while those who do will remain in the land. And so you could kind of see a similar parallel to these two sons. Or in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 15 to 23, it's an interesting uh, section you might want to check out. It talks about the rights of the firstborn in any family and the proper division of inheritance. But it also talks about how to treat a rebellious son, suggesting that the parents should present a rebellious son to the elders of the city to be stoned to death. (laughs) Right? Let's check it out. Verse 20, it says, They shall say to the elders... This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. 
He's a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his town are to stone him to death. You must purge the evil from among you. All Israel will hear it and be afraid. I am so glad that my parents were not Old Testament <laughs> Jewish parents because <laughs> I wouldn't be here with you today. <laughs> here in Jesus' parable, in contrast to stoning your own kid to death, <laughs> the compassion and the love of the father causes him instead to run to his son to throw his arms around him, to, to kiss him on the cheek and to, to be a blessing to him and be happy and excited and to celebrate that their relationship is being reconciled. Now, we can also see several contrasts in this parable that help us to understand maybe some of the things that Jesus is wanting us to see. Uh, there are obvious contrasts between the two sons, right? One claims to have sinned. The other claims to not have sinned. One wants to become a hired hand in his father's employment. One claims to have been treated like a slave by his father. One goes to the party and one stays outside and refuses to go. And despite the choices and the attitude of both of these sons, we see that the father actually goes out to meet both of them. And the primary contrast, though, is not between the two sons in the story, but is the contrast between the response of the father and the response of the elder son to this younger son upon his return. And we see that the closing element at the second half of the story is left open-ended. Jesus doesn't bring us to a conclusion. He doesn't tell us whether the elder son actually ever went into the party or not. And so it forces the listener or the reader of the story to reflect on what's happening in the story and what should or could be the possible outcome. Many parables of Jesus either have a direct or an indirect question for his hearers. What would I do if I were in that situation? Where do I fit into this story? Which character most resembles my attitude or my experience or, 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 the, or how I see my relationship with God. Is the elder son justified in his rejection of the younger son and his refusal to acknowledge the validity of his father's love and grace? I mean, in the ancient world, in the context in which Jesus told the story, disrespect towards your parents was obviously a punishable offense. And a failure to care for your parents as they aged was also considered a sign of dishonor and disrespect and, and was uh, an imprisonable offense in some of the old legal codes. And respect for your parents was deeply associated with societal respectability and honor for the whole family. And conversely, it was also considered societal uh, shame and dishonor if you weren't respectful and honoring to your parents. And so prodigals were generally viewed with disdain in the ancient Middle East. And taking care of pigs also not only would have been viewed as a lowly state for, for most of the Middle Eastern cultures, but particularly for Jews, we know that, that they were to avoid raising pigs. In fact, they weren't even supposed to touch pigs. It wasn't even something that they were, they were unclean. And so for him to find himself in the state where that's his only means of survival suggests that he has gone pretty much as far away from God as he can go. 
Both of the son's actions show, I'm sorry, this, the younger son's actions show that he didn't really care for his father, right? He didn't really desire a relationship with him. He wanted the father's money, right? He wanted the father's blessing, but he didn't want the father. So by taking his inheritance and leaving and, and, and being uh, uh, extricated from the land, <laughs> he's rejecting both his relationship with his father and he's dishonoring his parents by shirking his responsibility as a good son to stay and to care for the family and to prepare for taking care of them as they grow old in their older age. And so he would have been guilty of violating one of the Ten Commandments, right? Exodus 20, verse 12, Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now also in this culture, at Je in Jesus' time, particularly, particular responsibility fell to the oldest son of the family. He got a double portion of the inheritance as the oldest because he was also the one who was given primary responsibility to take care of their parents as they got older. Now, all the children had responsibility to care for the parents and the family, but it was the eldest son who was uh, tasked with taking a leadership role within the family. So while the younger son's behavior in this story is obviously dishonoring to the father and to his parents, the older son's refusal to enter the party and to honor his father's wishes was also a sign of disrespect and a dishonoring of his parents and a refusal to take on his own responsibility as the eldest son to be a leader in the family. Now, really quickly, this is kind of interesting to me. There's some other cultural features that we can see in the story, which include things like, I didn't know this, but apparently respected older men in that culture avoid, avoided running. True thing. If at all possible, because it was viewed as shameful to show one's legs... And it was also a sign of kind of uh, being undignified to be out of control in running. <laughs> now, the robe and the, the ring, a lot of people have tried to uh, create theological significance to those, but, but it's really more suggested that they were signs uh, that the younger brother was not being received as a servant, but he is being welcomed as part of the family. These were the, you know, the family signet ring and the best robe and, and even the idea of being without shoes and his father needing to put sandals on his feet signals that there was a mark of, of degradation for the son. But, but the putting of sandals on someone's feet was actually the job of a servant. And to, to give someone shoes and to, to put uh, shoes on their feet was a, a sign that you were acknowledging that the other person was superior to you or was a master over you. And here we might be reminded of Jesus washing his own disciples' feet. Now, it's generally assumed that at its core, the meaning of this parable is pretty clear. It's not one of those kind of deep mysteries that we have to really work hard to understand. The parable depicts God's reception of the repentant sinner. The one who turns their heart back towards him is received with God's love and his grace and his mercy. That, that's who God is. That's the, the, the kind of character that the, the God of Jesus reveals to his people. He's a God of unconditional grace and love toward all people who would turn their hearts back to him. 
So in Jesus' context, most people would understand that this parable would be a defense of Jesus' ministry and a defense of his action against the common accusations that we know Jesus often had to endure for him associating and eating with people of ill repute. To associate and to be at table with sinners was anathema to the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day. How could he, how could he deign to, to taint his righteousness by associating himself with these people? But in contrast to an attitude of criticism and judgment and negativity towards people who were not like us, who were considered sinners, who weren't following the rules of life that, that they thought they should be following, this forgiveness and restoration of the prodigal son, and more than just the forgiveness, but the insistence on throwing a party, that this, has, this is to be celebrated, that, that we have to be joyful about it, and we have to understand that, that what was lost was found, and that is where the joy and the excitement comes from. The parable of Jesus here exemplifies that Jesus' proclamation of the year of the Lord's favor or the year of jubilee, which would have been very recognizable to a, a Hebrew person in Jesus' day, was a part of what Jesus has come to announce. This is what would have been familiar when he quotes in Luke chapter 4, where he reads from the scroll of Isaiah. You might remember in verse 18, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's the year of Jubilee. That's the year when, when everything goes back to the way it was supposed to be. That's when all debts are forgiven. That's when the grace of God be, becomes overflowed into the community and we all begin to, to right wrongs, to reconcile the brokenness, and to start fresh with one another. That's the year of Jubilee. That's the celebration that has come because Jesus has arrived. And in the face of this reality of what Jesus is revealing about the heavenly Father who has sent his Son into the world to bring the year of the Lord's favor, any grumbling and resistance and criticism and negativity just doesn't fit. It seems out of phase with the reality of what's going on. It suggests that these people have simply misunderstood completely who Jesus was and why he had come to begin with. The frequent objections to the people with whom Jesus associated himself and with whom, whom he chose to sit at table and share a meal, these people who were considered uh, no good sinners, uh, you know, the, 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 it just didn't compute that, that that was something that was worth Jesus' time or had anything to do with the kingdom of God. Any claim that Jesus had to, to the kingdom of God or that God was doing a new work through him would be viewed with suspicion as long as he was associating with these people. Yet also one more thing I want to suggest is significant that we might miss if we don't pay attention to in the parable is we also see that no one is rejected. Both sons are chosen. The father goes out to each son. There are two responses, but, but the father treats both sons equally. The response is left up to the sons to choose. 
And so the presence of the kingdom of God always requires a response from us. What will we choose to do in response to the truth that God is revealing about his love and his grace and his mercy in our life? Will we go into the party? Will we accept this amazing gift and, and, be, and go, go back to our identity as being children of the Father? Or will we resist God's grace and resist his mercy and say, no, I'm going to do it on my own. I'm going to take, keep control of my life. I'm not going to accept this kind of a gracious, loving attitude. Because if you were really God, you wouldn't allow evil in the world. You wouldn't allow sinners to thrive. You would punish the ungodly. And, and the righteous people like me would get all the blessings. Because <laughs> I haven't done anything wrong. In fact, I've been slaving for, for the kingdom of God all my life. I've been a Christian forever. I've been going to church since I was this tall. The fact that the kingdom of God is present with and inaugurated by the presence of Jesus means that the day of salvation is today. And that's a cause for rejoicing. It's a cause for celebrating. It's a cause for feasting. It's an invitation to come to the party. And so this parable is a story about the character of God as a loving heavenly father. And it's a powerful presentation that all of our striving and all of our attempts to earn God's grace or all of our attempts to make ourselves happy or to think that we can find a way to do it on our own is, is all but, but nothing. It's, it's, it's dust. That the only recourse that we have to find joy and happiness and forgiveness and salvation is life is the grace and love of the Heavenly Father who welcomes us back to Himself. In alignment with the Old Testament theme of the year of Jubilee or the year of the Lord's favor, it signals that God's plan of restoration and forgiveness has become a reality today in the arrival and the ministry of His Son, Jesus. And so in this parable, we see an invitation to celebrate and to rejoice because of the redeeming and restoring love of the Father. And that's the primary concern of the parable is the joy that comes when we understand the truth of what Jesus has revealed. And it begs the question, ultimately, for each one of us, as we too now hear Jesus' story about the heavenly Father and the two sons and how they respond, how will you choose to respond to that kind of love today? Will it motivate you to change your attitude? Will it open you to the, the possibility that God might want to do something new in you and to, to experience a change in how he is leading you so that you're experiencing greater joy and excitement and passion in your life rather than being stuck in the routines and the ruts and the, the same old, same old that we've been experiencing day after day and year after year as we try and slog through this pandemic and figure out where God is leading us all the while missing perhaps the possibility that, that we're right where God wants us. And there's nothing else you have to do. There's nowhere else you have to go. There's nothing else that God is expecting of you other than to, to stop and to, to, to rest and to go into the party and to allow the love of the Father to, to change your attitude and your experience from the inside out. Men and women, this is what the 50-day challenge is all about. 
It's not about performance or having to commit yourself to do all of these things to earn brownie points here at church or to to be a better Christian. It's about committing together to to do simple practices each day that are going to cause us to pause and to to give our attention to the loving Heavenly Father and to say, okay, God, how do you want to bless me and love me and show me the ways that I've been missing you today? And I believe if we would commit to connecting with God each day for the next 50 days, 10 minutes a day, that's all he's asking. Over the course of 50 days, we might be surprised at where we end up. You know, the first day you might go, okay, I did that, whatever. (laughs) 10 minutes, boom, it's done, right? It's the consistency over time for the 50 days that I believe God will honor and that God will choose to use to bless you in a way that maybe you don't understand or you can't anticipate. And that's what the challenge is. Can we commit ourselves together for 50 days to see what God wants to do in us? Because I believe that Jesus invites us to, like the prodigal son, to come back to ourselves to rediscover who we really are in God, the people God intended us to be. And it also challenges us to consider whether we, like the elder son, have actually been resisting God's grace and God's love in our lives, leading us to live lives of negativity and criticism and never really able to be happy. God's love and grace is what invites and allows us to return to our true selves and to be restored as true sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father, not because of how good we are, but because of how good God is. And as people who are created and loved by that kind of a God, our identities are neither as prodigals nor as hired hands nor as slaves Our identities are as children of the Heavenly Father. We are sons and daughters of the Almighty King. We are invited to live our lives in mercy and grace and the joy that comes from understanding that all that we have and all that we are comes only as a gift from God through His Son, Jesus. And there's nothing else that you can do that's going to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do that will ever make God love you less. And so stop your striving. Stop your earning. Sit down and trust in God's love and bask in the glory of the goodness of the gift that is already available to you every day, right now, without cost. In Jesus, God invites you and me to become who we are supposed to be, even though we don't deserve it, and sometimes maybe if we don't even really want it, God is inviting us to turn our hearts in a new direction. That's what all repentance means. It's to to turn in a new direction and, and to allow God to change your perspective and to open your mind to the possibility that maybe there's a whole new experience with God and for God that you never really understood that you were missing or, or, or understood was possible. And so as we go through this series that we're calling The Way of Jesus and we invite everyone to consider joining the 50-Day Challenge, This is really all about God's invitation for you and for me to come home to our heart's true home, 
in him. It's about choosing to enter the house, to to join the party, to celebrate with joy. Again, Snodgrass in his commentary says, joy is not an optional feature of the faith. I love that. Joy is not an optional feature of the faith. Nor, he says, can it be obtained by smiling more or singing louder. You can't fake joy. It must emerge from an awareness of the mercy and the forgiveness of God, enacted in the kingdom and made available only through Jesus. Brothers and sisters, this is the way of love. This is the way that Jesus invites his disciples to walk. This parable is not only about our relationship with God, but how in our relationship with God, we are put in, put in right relationship with our brothers and sisters as well. When, we, when the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he prays that Christ might dwell in their hearts and that they might be rooted and grounded in what? Love. Can we imagine what it would be like if we, as a faith community, and individually and together, were truly rooted and grounded in nothing but love? For the Christian, the love of Christ is the beginning and the end. It's the alpha and the omega. It's the starting point, and it's the fulfillment. It's the ultimate goal of what we're looking for. Living in Christ becomes a way of being in the world where we lose none of our uniqueness or power, but instead discover a new life in the midst of the very center of who we are and where we live. In Christ, God calls us to come home and to make ourselves at home in his love, accepting our full status as beloved children of God. Perhaps in a place like this, we can begin to let go of our own self-conscious efforts to rate our performance and our worth through the eyes of others' expectations or what we think is going to please others or what we think is going to ultimately make us happy. And we can base our identity and our worth on that Sunday school lesson that a child could understand that the song tells us that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Brothers and sisters, this is the way of love. Let us enter into the celebration. Let us join the feast and let us find true rest for our souls. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you, through your son Jesus, have revealed that you are a God of love. Forgive us, God, today for the ways that we, like the younger son, have squandered your blessings and spent our wealth on wild living and things that have taken us away from you. And God, forgive us also for the ways that we have been like the older son, who have stayed, but we've grumbled and we've complained and we've not been happy and we've endured as slaves in your kingdom, but never really felt free to to celebrate and to be a part of the joy that is set before us. God, bring us all together into your uh, new home that you have made for us in your love and do a new work in us today, this week, and in the season ahead. God, as we live with this parable this week, as we read it each day, as we pray through it and we invite your spirit to bring to mind those messages that you would have for us through this story, maybe a story that begins to live in us 
even as we begin to live out of this story through the 50-day challenge this week. And we will thank you and we'll praise you through Jesus Christ our Lord in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope you'll join the Way of Jesus 50-Day Prayer Challenge. To join, click the link in our podcast description. Our music was written, performed, and produced by Adam Johnson. For more information about our church community, visit faithcovesumner.com. Until next time.